We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week. ICRT's roundup of the top news stories from around Taiwan. Today we'll be covering the last seven days. I'm Keith Manconi of ICRT News. Joining me in studio today is Gavin Phipps, also of ICRT News. Uh, good evening. And back in studio with us once again is the Taiwan reporter Klaus Bardenhagen, who reports about Taiwan for German language media, and whose Facebook page, Taiwan Reporter, is one of the most popular sources for non-Mandarin news about Taiwan. Klaus, uh, good to have you back. Great to be back. Thank you. And another guy we haven't spoken to in a while. Uh, he's been a little bit busy living the domestic dream. Uh, Chay Ting Ye of Ketagalan Media. Ting, good to have you back on the show as well. And that's uh, great to be back as well. On the show today, uh, this week saw the dramatic homecoming of a ship's engineer who spent the last four and a half years in captivity uh, after he and the rest of his crew were kidnapped by Somali pirates. But some are accusing the government of not doing enough to bring him back home. Then a cross-party forum between the CCP and the KMT is set to begin next week in China. But internal party discord continues over the fabled 1992 consensus. We'll take a look at whether or not they'll be able to patch that up before hitting primetime. And the debate over marriage equality has been conspicuously absent since President Tsai Ing-wen took office. But three parties sponsored three proposals to legalize same-sex marriage. They were submitted to the Legislative Yuan earlier this week. And what with the Taiwan LGBT Pride Parade set for tomorrow, we thought we'd dedicate the whole second half of our show to discussing the current state of LGBT advocacy in Taiwan uh, with a couple of campaigners who were nice enough to join us in studio. So stay tuned for that conversation in the second half. But first, the tussle over the five-day work week continued in a big way this week. Uh, with actual literal tussles on the streets of Taipei and tussles in the hallowed halls of the Legislative Yuan itself. Uh, We're talking about here the Thai administration's proposal to create a five-day, 40-hour work week with one flexible day and one fixed day off. Uh, The administration is, of course, calling the policy an advancement for workers' rights with uh, new strengthened protections for days off and overtime. But protesters are furious that in addition to all that good stuff, uh, the bill also nixes seven annual holidays, uh, something the Thai administration had pledged not to do uh, in this policy. So let's start with that street action, Gavin. It came a little bit earlier in the week than the legislative brouhaha uh, Tuesday, I think. Yes, it kicked off on Tuesday when some 3,000 protesters marched from the DPP headquarters to the legislative UN. They were, of course, as Keith just said, protesting the government's decision to ram home a work week law. Now, the law was rammed home during a committee meeting on October the 4th. And basically it said there'll be there'll be a 40-day work week, you can work five days, you're guaranteed one day off and the other day is flexible. And they also decided to maintain the number of national holidays at 12, which means that all the national holidays are now in line with those of civil servants. Mm. Before and now, because we're speaking, they're quite not in line, which means certain people get certain days off and other people don't get certain days off. We wouldn't want a jealous country. No, wouldn't at all. But unfortunately, this led to problems on Tuesday during the march, because by the time these 3,000 protesters arrived at the Legislative UN, they were rather ruffled, angry, and, well, 
to point a phrase, they were a bit pissed off. So there were scuffles between the protesters and the police, and there was eggs thrown at the legislative building. Mm. And police say several of the protesters suffered minor injuries when they tried to climb over a wall to actually get in the legislative building itself, and three people were detained. Mm. Now, while all this was going on, the Secretary-General of the Tainan Confederation of Trade Unions said that his group will stage a hunger strike if... This is on Tuesday, bear in mind. If the controversial amendments to the Labour Standards Act do not undergo a second review early next month. So clearly a lot of disappointment that we're seeing from Labour advocates right there. Uh, but uh, let's kind of pick up on that uh, legislative story that you were hinting at there a second ago. That's because on, That was on Wednesday, the day after, mm-hmm. basically. Now, the day after, the Legislative Social Welfare and Environmental Hygiene Committee was going to meet. I say was going to meet, but well, it did meet for about 30 seconds. Mm. Now, basically, it met. They were going to discuss. In fact, at this meeting, they planned to finalise the law amendments to the Labour Standards Act. Unfortunately, um, while the DPP members of the committee said, let's let's finalise it now, the KMT and the New Power Party members took umbrage of that and decided after 30 seconds to a minute of the meeting being brought into starting, they disrupted it. And the basically the committee chair, the committee governor, Uyu Chin, she actually was forced to adjourn the meeting after a minute because of scuffles in the committee room. But just to give a little bit of background here, the reason that they objected to it going any further was because of the October October 5th 5th meeting. On the October 5th meeting, the October 5th meeting didn't last very long either. In fact, the the October 5th meeting lasted all of 60 seconds. Mm. That is because the DPP members of the committee rammed home the government's version of the Labour Standards Act amendments. Over fairly vocal you know, uh, protestations. Well, they more or less ignored those protests. Well, there wasn't really any protesters in that one because basically most of the people who were anti this policy boycotted that meeting. So there was basically nobody there at all to say, hey, I hope you can't do that. If it's right. I mean. But so, clearly, clearly the, the opposition, there was an opposition and they wanted further review of the bill. The DPP didn't let that happen. No, they they used their majority to ram it through. Yeah. Now, let's go for Thursday because scuffles erupted again on Thursday in the same meeting room of the Social Welfare and Environmental Hygiene Committee. It got a bit more heated, though, yesterday and there was a couple of injuries. Some tables were pushed over. Mm-hmm. And Somebody was putting a headlock, I forget. Some, there there so, so, was a few headlocks going. Mm. It was like a boxing match. In, couple the, of in the green okay. corner, we have the yeah. DPP. Mm-hmm. In the blue corner is the KMT. Bing, mm. bing, round one. There we go. That's what it was like on Thursday. Anyway, on th- in Thursday's meeting, the governor of the committee was asked by the opposition KMT and New Power Party, basically, to... Can we review footage of the October 5th meeting? Because we think that the validation of the act was inaccurate. The governor of the committee ignored this, Mm. which led to further scuffles. And, of course, Mm -hmm. all these scuffles took started before the committee meetings actually started themselves. Mm -hmm. There was pushing around on the podium, pushing of tables, jumping of tables, jumping up and down, grabbing people by the head, and so on and so forth. Now... The committee continued yesterday, regardless of all this, and basically they decided to pass or finalise this amendment to the Labour Standards Act. But while it'll stick to a five-day work week with one fixed day off and one flexible rest day while keeping the number of national holidays at 12, the government decided that this law would only come into effect 
in 2017, next year, Mm. meaning that November 12th and December 25th of this year will remain national holidays, albeit ones that fall at the weekend. Okay, so the the bill has made it out of committee. And now it has to go to ratification on the legislative floor. Well, and also uh, cross-party caucus review. So two more steps were to go through, but uh, it's, it seems like it's out of that particular phase. But still, there's a lot of bad feeling, A, from Labour, uh, who feels like they are, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're being asked to bend way too far to accommodate this bill. Uh, we actually did hear earlier this week some business leaders come out and say that they support it. So, you know, you can kind of see which way this is all kind of breaking down. Uh, and then on the other side, a lot of people are angry about the uh, how this was handled procedurally, as we just heard. You know, p- folks feel that it was just rammed through, and now the DPP is kind of continuing that, using their majority uh, to get it passed, what is uh, fairly... Uh, stiff opposition. Uh, so let's. Uh, we've actually talked a little bit about the procedural side of this before. Uh, how the DPP is and uh, the Tide administration is kind of using their majority to govern. Uh, let's kind of cover something that we haven't done quite as good a job of covering and uh, discuss why Labor finds this so distasteful. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm curious to hear uh, Ting's take. Uh, I'm, I imagine you probably know some of the folks that have been protesting, or at least folks involved in some of the organizations uh, that were protesting. What are you hearing in terms of why people are so angry about this? Well, I think um, one of the things I'd like to just point out, um, you know, other than the fact, of course, you know, like there's always the inherent you know, labor versus, you know, capital, um, you know, so labor versus employ and. and versus employer kind of tension that you have in Taiwan. I think one of the things I'd like to point out is that um, the the KMT martial law regime um, treated civil servants, you know, and, and teachers and you know, the military and so forth much more preferentially than labor, right? And there's also a little bit of a sort of an ethnic element to this where civil servants, you know, in the back in the old days at, at least were mostly um, KMT-aligned mainlanders where labor were you know, sort of the more local Taiwanese population. And so, um, you know, the the legacy of this sort of mismatch between civil servants and labor has, um, you know, I, I think has deeper roots than, you know, I think most people might realize. Mm. Uh, Klaus, what would you add to all that? Well, first of all, I find it really remarkable to see that there's a subject where the KMT and the NPP are on the same side of the fence. Yeah. So I think uh, that alone tells you that the DPP really managed to screw something up here. <laughs> And um, I mean, they they took this relatively minor political subject and um, turned it into a huge problem for themselves now, alienating really a large group of voters that they should have in their pocket, like namely young workers and young employees. Mm. So um, if it goes on like this, first of all, I would think that those uh, voters will turn to the NPP probably. Mm -hmm. And... um, Second, um, I'm, uh, yeah, there, there were um, other protests uh, yesterday evening. There was uh, another demonstration in front of the legislative UN. There were young people rattling the gates of the parliament, and mm-hmm. it really looked like the early stages of the Sunflower Movement all over again. I mean, yeah. we are not that far yet, but now um, it looks a little bit like situations are repeating themselves, but with mm-hmm. the roles reversed this time. Yeah, and when it does look like the KMT is uh, ready and waiting to kind of swoop in and and, and uh, capitalize on this anger that's out there, uh, Ting, what's your take? I mean, is is it, it maybe it's too early to say, but is, are we really seeing the DPP uh, in jeopardy of kind of being seen in, in a similar light to how the KMT was seen at the end of its tenure? Um, I mean, I wouldn't go that far yet. I think um, 
I mean, you have to understand for the sunflower movement, um, it was you know, a movement of that size um, included, you know, it's, it's sort of a loose coalition of a lot of different interests, right? So um, ostensibly, the people back in the sunflower movement in 2014 were protesting against the procedural mishandling, right? And so there's definitely a lot of things with this particular, you know, case, as, as for example, you mentioned the October uh, 5th meeting that, you know, basically reminded people of exactly what happened in 2014 when the um, cross-straits uh, services trade agreement was uh, ran through, right? That was the word that a lot of us used, ran through with, you know, this 30-second committee meeting. Um, so, you know, the young people during the Sunflower Movement that protested, you know, based, based on that basically thinks, well, you know, there's, I shouldn't, if that was their primary gripe back then, it, it, would, it would be sort of hypocritical to let the TPP get a pass, right? If um, they don't protest this, you know, sort of, it's sort of the exact same thing right now, right? So there's elements of that. And then there's also, of course, that some part movement was, you know, I think at the core of it was there was a lot of, you know, and, uh, anti, um, you know, free capitalism, anti, you know, free trade sentiment going on. And um, I think that's, um, um, I think that's what's fueling a lot of people right now, because, again, it's people who are saying, well, you know, we're against, um, big big corporations or against you know big capital or against um, exploitation of laborers in Taiwan, which you know in the past we've seen many examples of, right? And so these people are saying you know we're not going to give the DPP a pass just because um, you know they're supposedly the more anti-China or the more pro-Taiwan party. All right. So uh, interesting times for the DPP ahead. Uh, We're going to have to follow that. I'm sure that we'll be getting more news on this uh, probably next week as well, too. So we'll keep our eyes trained on that. But moving on now uh, to our second story for today. It has been a dramatic week for Shen Rei Zhang. After four years spent in captivity under the guard of Somali pirates, he was released last Sunday for an undisclosed amount of ransom money uh, and had a tearful return to Taiwan later in the week. Some have been charging that the government could have done more to get him back sooner, and we'll take a look at those charges in a second. But let's, uh, Gavin, start with the incident itself. It was uh, a dramatic week for him, but the incident in which he was captured was also very dramatic. It was March of 2012 in waters south of the Seychelles Islands, believe it or not, Mm. when his boat, which was flagged in Oman, the Naham 3, was hijacked by Somali pirates. Now, the boat was hijacked, and the boat and its crew, actually the Taiwan captain... Mm-hmm. from Taiwan. He was killed during the actual hijacking of the vessel. And event- well, the crew and the boat were both taken to Somalia by the pirates, and they spent four and a half years in Somalia, living, eating rats and snakes and being beaten by their captors. Generally mistreated. Generally mistreated and didn't have a very nice time of it for four and a half years. Anyway, this past Sunday news broke that they were being released for a rumoured 1.5 million US dollars in ransom was paid. Mm. So on Sunday they were released in Somalia. On Monday they they arrived in the Kenyan capital of Nairobi. Mm -hmm. And on Tuesday they flew to Guangzhou, China. Mm -hmm. Chen, the Taiwan member of crew, along with the other members of the crew who are from Cambodia, the Philippines, Vietnam and China. Mm -hmm. They all went to Guangzhou. They were accompanied to China by members of of, of Chinese, basically foreign foreign office officials. Mm -hmm. And Chen was um, accompanied there by the basically what is China's Association for Relations Across the Taiwan Straits, Mm -hmm. which is its pseudo cross-strait talks group. Right. 
And when he was in China, a video appeared showing Shen mm-hmm. basically lashing out at the government here in Taiwan and also the Taiwan company that owned the ship. Mm. While the fishing vessel was flagged out of Oman, it was owned by a Taiwan company. Mm-hmm. He basically accused both the government and the shipping company that owned the vessel of just simply ignoring the hostage situation, ignoring them and forgetting all about them. Right. More of this forgetting all about them and they didn't do anything it came from China as well. Yeah. So China obviously took this occasion to make political hay about Taiwan being incompetent and the Chinese government basically came out and said the same thing. You yeah. didn't do anything, we did everything. Which to which the government here said, "No, hang on a minute. We actually made an effort." But um, anyway, if the um guy has been in captivity for more than four years, then the Chinese side is basically criticizing the KMT government for that. I mean, how do they want to spin this? Nobody actually came out with that one, actually, Klaus. I was waiting for that one actually to be spun this week, and nobody did. Could well, do, see what can, I mean. can still happen. <laughs> could still happen. I you think. could do some consultancy work for the administration. Yeah. Now, according to the Mainland Affairs Council, the Taiwan <laughs> made... This, this is during the previous government, of course, because this incident happened in 2012. Taiwan and the government made every effort to secure the release of the crew, basically. Now, officials say the fisheries agency set up an interministerial special task force which coordinated with the Mainland Affairs Council and the Straits Exchange Foundation... Mm. And they coordinated with their counterparts in China, the lead one being the Association for Relations Across the Taiwan Straits. Uh, and they account, they interacted together to consult on the condition of the ship's crew on several occasions. And apparently the information was given to the ship's owner here in Taiwan, who was then asked to hire a middleman to negotiate the release of the crew, pay compensation to families, and also maintain communications with Beijing. Mm. Of course, states do not pay pirates to get ships released from captivity. Just encourages more pirating. Basically, that's more that's less. government's policies. Yeah. Of course, this was this deal was negotiated through a hostage negotiating agency from what i can gather yeah uh, a little bit hush hush uh in those details so we don't know them all i guess uh but uh i i don't know i guess uh, that probably have to leave that story there i mean is there a broader point it seems pretty dramatic but uh i think we just have to be happy that mr shun is home and uh hope that the company if it is uh, responsible for uh, any of the stuff that's happened uh takes responsibility for it And uh, I guess we leave it there for that one and uh, move on to another really quickie, a quickie, 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 because it's just kind of an update of something we did last week. We're going to take a trip on over to the Judicial UN now for a follow up on those Grand Justices confirmation hearings from last week. Uh, Discussed it last Friday, even. Uh, Those hearings were heard and now all the nominees have been confirmed, Gavin. Yeah, lawmakers formally endorsed the nominations of former Grand Justice Xu Zong Li and Supreme Court Justice Tsai Jung Dun to serve as both President and Vice President of the Judicial UN, respectively. Now, Xu's nomination passed 72 to 3, while Tsai's nomination cleared by 83 to 2 in the Legislative UN. This happened on Tuesday. Mm. Now, of the total 113 lawmakers, 75 voted on Xu's nomination and 85 voted on Tsai's. Obviously, not everyone was happy about this. Now, mainly the KMT weren't happy about this. Now, no KMT lawmakers voted for Shu because they argued that it was unconstitutional for a former Grand Justice to serve in the same position again, as both the President and Vice President of the Judicial UN serve automatically as Grand Justices. Mm. 
Right. So a little bit of uh, constitutional controversy right there, but I guess we're going through with it anyway. Yep, they're going through it anyway. Basically, in his acceptance speech, if you can call it an acceptance speech, <laughs> when he was asked about what it felt like, so they've nominated you, how does it feel? Mm. She said, well, he believes that public distrust in judges poses, poses a serious crisis for the island's judiciary at present, and he said that there needs to be pragmatic, in-depth and efficient judicial reform. Okay. Of course, this judicial reform thing is what sparked the KMT and other lawmakers not particularly wanting to back him. Because, of course, last week we talked about the nominees were quizzed on whether they would sing the national anthem. Right. The what they thought of the Republic of China as an entity. Question of whether or not they supported all those clauses in the Constitution and whether or not they could, you know, up- uphold or make uh, rulings on a Constitution that they didn't necessarily uh, 100% believe in. But we're going through with it. So uh, those are the justices that we have. Uh, and like I said, we're just going to race on through that one to our... So I'm sure we'll get back to it in a couple of weeks. I absolutely think we will. Away. Yeah, yeah, Well, they, they've, clear, they've already said some interesting things. So these are guys that are keen to say some interesting, controversial things. So hopefully they'll come back up in the news soon. But let's uh, head on to our last story for the first half of the show and diving back into politics. Bring your permission slips because we've got a field trip. Well, the KMT does anyway. Next week, a delegation of party bigwigs will be heading over to China for the Cross-Strait Peaceful Development Forum. Uh, That's set for Wednesday and Thursday. This is a slightly rebranded event. Uh, It's an annual event that takes place between the KMT and the CCP. Uh, Before that gets going, though, there's going to be another important meeting next week. Uh, This one being between KMT chairperson Hong Xiaoju and Chinese President Xi Jinping. So that's highly anticipated as well. So a lot of important meetings, uh, and the KMT is probably hoping to demonstrate a certain amount of leadership on cross-strait relations, uh, showing that you know they are the most capable of carrying out successful cross-strait policy. But at the same time, uh, the party is dogged by internal disputes that all basically boil down to changes made to the KMT's policy platform during last month's National Congress. Uh, Those changes concern the 92 consensus and a possible proposal for a peace accord, Gavin. Yeah, of course we had the KMT's Eric Huang a couple of weeks ago when we actually discussed this trip in more depth than we're going into now. But since then, the poop has hit the fan, proverbially, of course, within the KMT. Because there's been a split, or an alleged split. Mm. I should say alleged, with a capital A there. Because apparently, while we talked about this as well, Hong Soju wants to have her own interpretation of the One China, which differs from the previous head of state, Ma Ying-jo's interpretation of the One China. Now, rumour has it, stories have it, the newspapers have it, and sources say that at a luncheon, a dinner last week, a sit-down meal with the head honchos from the KMT, there was a rather bitter dispute between Ma Ying-jo and Hong Soju. Well, Hong Soju kept her cool. She kept her cool. She kept her focus uh, on the important things. Well, she, apparently she was putting on makeup on every time Ma Ying-jo tried to say something. Reportedly. Reportedly, allegedly, so sources have been quoted as saying. (laughs) Yes. Now, the disagreement, of course, like I said, centres on the interpretation of the party's one-China policy. Now, of course, 
Mying Zhou says one China policy means that both sides have a one China policy, but they're both free to interpret it as they so see wish. Right, Simple. 92. Con- well, we're talking about the 92 yeah, consensus well, the here China and policy, one China it. policy, different interpretations. Yeah. Hong Xiuju is comfortable with dropping that same in uh, that different interpretations portion, which uh, is problematic because if you don't have that different interpretations part, then that means you have the same interpretation. And China's interpretation would, of course, be one China. It's our China. And so are you. So if, you know, if Hong Shouju is signing on to that version of the 92 consensus, then does that mean that she thinks that the CCP's China is the one China that Taiwan is a part of? Well, a little problematic. That's the big issue Maing Zhou has over this, basically. Right. And so he's saying uh, if they walk away from that formulation, the one that he's had with the different interpretations, uh, the KMT risks losing its uh, ability to, you know, say that they are the ones with the successful cross-strait policy. Yeah. Now, the meeting next week... Mm-hmm. Between Hong and Xi, there's been questions over that as well because, of course, some some people in the KMT have gone, "What are you going to say to him?" Right. She's actually come out and say, "Look, I'll I'll make measured and appropriate statements during my meeting on November the first. Right. But I don't think this has allayed much fear within the KMT over what is actually going to be said. The Mainland Affairs Council actually also well, came they, out. They came out and said, be, well, "This is they, they've said this before, though. I mean, it happened in 2005 when Lian Chen went there. They came out and basically said, "Look." They told her, if you go to China to meet with Xi Jinping, you are not allowed to sign any documentation whatsoever pertaining to any kind of government policy. Especially not a peace accord. Well, the peace accord is another whole bucket of poop that no one's really explained, no one's actually gone into, and no one's said anything. So this would be a bucket of poop in addition to the poop that's already hit the fan? Basically, yeah. Okay. This, in fact, we, we shall be, what type of poop it was, we shall find out next week when she returns to Taiwan. All right. Okay, so uh, that was kind of a long explanation of everything that's going on, but uh, all by way of getting our listeners caught up on everything. Uh, kind of a, a dramatic set of events, uh, interesting set of events. Klaus, what do you take away from all this? Well, I found it really interesting to hear about this um, supposed confrontation between Ma Ying-jeou and Hong Shouju, because, mm. I mean, we knew for some time that there's a split within the KMT, because there's the so-called mainlander wing and the so-called native Taiwanese wing. The Taiwanese um, wing being represented by the likes of Wang Jinping or former Vice President Wu Junyi. And um, then the so-called mainlanders or the descendants of mainlanders. You have people like Lian Zhan, Wu Poxiong, the former chairman, Hong Shouju, of course, uh, Eric Zhu by means of marriage. And um, they are supposed to be the ones who are not afraid to use words like unification once in a while. Mm. And of course, Ma ying having been born in Hong Kong and his father a big general, he was always considered to be a part of the mainlander wing. But mm. now if um, he goes out against Hong Shouju and he says, well, you cannot really spin my policies like this, it seems like there could be a split within the split in the KMT. Mm. Right. So- a split within a split. That's a mighty tight pair of pants they're wearing there, isn't it? Uh, The KMT and a mighty tight pair of pants. Uh, Is that what you're seeing here as well, Ting? Yeah, and just to put a little more color on that, right? So, um, I mean, I think think after the 2016 elections, within the KMT, you have um, sort of, uh, you can sort of see another different split, which is uh, sort of the hardline, radically pro-China, pro-unification wing, and then the sort of more reformist you know, wing, right? And, um, you know, we saw that battle kind of take, you know, sort of play itself out in the um, the party chairman elections where you have um, sort of younger, more reform-minded um, candidates 
running against um, Hong Xiaozu, right, who sort of represents this, like, you know, I'm going to double down on, you know, pro-China policies and, and ideologies. And so, um, and, you know, we saw the result, and we know which way the KMT is going to go. Um, you know, the, the other thing is, you know, there's a lot of uh, sort of the old guard, um, you know, extremely old guard uh, pro-China, you know, like, uh, faction, you know, I think a lot of that interest has already been represented by the new party, right? So this other, um, you know, sort of a junior partner to the KMT um, on the even farther end of the spectrum, right? And so you, you have this this situation where the KMT is sort of chasing after uh, going to the far end of the spectrum along with the new party. And, um, you know, and, and I, I, I just think the KMT itself has, you know, been the way... It's been way too long since the KMT actually had a central ideology where they they actually believed in what they said, right? So, like, you know, when we talk about Ma Ying-jeou, he's now saying, you know, you can't drop the the different interpretation latter part of the 92 consensus. Yet when he met with uh, Xi Jinping the um, last year around this time, um, you know, he did not mention the different interpretations in public. Um, In fact, he was harassed by... um, uh, so uh, recalled during his press conference about whether he did actually say mention different interpretations to Xi Jinping and he did not give an answer to that. So, um, you know, I, I think it's just the, the KMT is in this disarray. The, the only person that seems to you know believe in what she says is Hong Shouzhu, yet uh, what she says is not palatable to, you know, the vast majority of the Taiwanese these days. So, um, you know, I am curious as to what she's going to talk about with Xi Jinping. I um, you know, if she does something that pulls, you know, that like that, that sort of sets the KMT up as a, you know, we're we're protecting the ta- Taiwanese interests as the R, you know, as ROC, as what we, you know, previously said. Um, I think that's going to. I don't think that's something that she would be able to say. Um, yet, if she says, you know, we're going to be even closer, we're going to, you know, we're dropping the different interpretations, we're going to talk about peace accord, well, you know, they're just going to be farther away from, I think, what mainstream Taiwanese uh, voters believe right now. What's interesting, I suppose, there's some question over whether the actual meeting on November the 1st in Beijing is going to be open to the press, of course, which is, you know, the KMT are refusing to say so far, and the Chinese side hasn't said anything. So I think that should be quite interesting to see whether actually we're going to actually get to hear what is said firsthand rather than from a statement from a political party. Right. More secret deals would not really look all that great, especially when they're trying to say, you know, we're not we're not pulling a fast one on anybody. We're just developing open, good, cross straight ties. Uh, So an interesting thing to watch there. Uh, Klaus, anything you want to add or should we wrap it up? Whatever happens in China now with this meeting is going to be decisive, I guess, in the next regular KMT chairmanship or chairpersonship mm-hmm. election, which is scheduled for next year, I think. So that will be really interesting to see if Feng Shouju manages to get herself re-elected. Or if, um, I mean, she basically has um, the military veterans wing behind her mm-hmm. and the elites of the elite within the party, but not so much the rank and file. Or if someone like Udron E or How Long being the former Taipei mayor will step up and say, now it's time for me to take over the party. And this will mm. really decide the course of the KMT in the years to come. Mm. All right. So uh, a lot riding on this visit, a lot of questions about exactly how it's going to go down. But we will know all that by the next time we uh, tape one of these things. So uh, we'll definitely have plenty of fodder for the show next week. But we are coming up on a break now when we return. This week saw a renewed push from some lawmakers to legalize gay marriage. 
Uh, but how far will that commitment really go? And what's in store tomorrow at Taiwan's annual Gay Pride Parade? We'll spend the whole second half discussing those questions and more, so keep it tuned to Taiwan This Week. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week, ICRT's weekly roundup of news from around Taiwan. I'm Keith Manconi, joined by Gavin Phipps, Che Ting-ye, and Klaus Bardenhagen, one of whom just yawned into the mic, but that's okay, because we'll, we'll wake them back up with this next topic. Uh, so this week, of course, uh, we're going to see Taiwan's Gay Pride Parade, which, uh, as many of our listeners probably know, is one of the biggest in Asia. Very big deal. But in some ways, for the chattering political class like us, in some ways it has been uh, overshadowed by political developments this week. On Monday, DPP lawmakers pledged to renew a push to amend the civil code to legalize same-sex marriage. The same day, uh, New Power Party uh, unveiled similar draft legislation to do much the same thing. And then later in the week, I believe it was Wednesday, uh, the KMT came out with their own version of such a proposal. So, uh, big week, Gavin. Yeah, we have three different versions. Basically, the the amendment to the civil code to legalize same-sex marriage is based on wording. The crux of it is wording. Mm. Now, the proposed amendment from the DPP would change the description of those who make commitments to marry from the current man and woman or male and female parties to two parties as per Article 972 of the Civil Code. So it just gets less specific. Less specific. The new Power Party version of the same-sex marriage bill as per Article 972 of the Civil Code wants to change the words father and mother and husband and wife in the Civil Code change Mm. to spouse the two parties or parents. Okay. Now, both of these parties' versions actually basically want to set out to allow people in any form of marriage to assume husband and wife obligations regardless of their gender, mm-hmm. both hold parental rights and also have an equal opportunity to adopt children regardless mm. of the gender of the couple involved. Mm. I haven't got the KMT version in front of me. All right, but uh, it, it, it did go out. Uh, it's out in the world right now. So, okay, so some interesting developments right there uh, on the legislative front. Uh, of course, Tsai Ing-wen made uh, gay rights and uh, legalizing gay marriage a, a portion of her campaign. Uh, but some have been disappointed to see that, it, you know, this uh, this particular policy issue has taken a back seat so far during her administration. Uh, so these announcements uh, this week, I think, come as a surprise to many of us and may revitalize this debate, bring it back to the fore. Well, it's been dead since 2013, remember. Okay, yeah, when yeah, the, we could put the, it that way. The first same-sex marriage bill cleared, actually, actually cleared a reading in the legislative mm-hmm. UN in 2013. Right. But uh, it's remained stalled there since then due to opposition from mainly religious groups. Exactly. All right, so that's the context right there. Uh, now, uh, so me and Gavin can basically take a, a sidestep now because we have some folks in the room who really know what they're talking about. Uh, we are going to invite into the show two LGBT advocacy campaigners, uh, the first one being Wayne Lin, who is the chairperson for Taiwan Tongzhi Hotline Association, uh, which is a group that advocates for LGBT rights, uh, and also I think uh, would be fair to say is a focal point for the LGBT community here in Taiwan. So Wayne, glad to have you on the show. Thank you for having me here. Uh, and also, uh, we're very happy to invite in Simon Dai, uh, who is the spokesperson for the Taiwan LGBT Pride community, which is uh, behind the parade that's going to be taking place tomorrow. So, Simon, uh, very happy to have you as well. Hello. 
Great. Uh, so glad to have both of you here. So I think the, the, the most immediate question is, there are a lot of laws that are, are out on the table, as Gavin just mentioned. There is a certain amount of complexity because they're all just like slightly different. Let's put that aside for a second and just take the, the big view. How do you view what's happening this week? Uh, would you say that these overall this week has been a, a very positive development? I think actually it's quite positive. As you can see, right now we have three versions coming from different parties, though DPP and KMT actually is more the version from both these two parties are from the legislature itself, not mm-hmm. from the whole party. Only the new power party one is from the whole, from the party perspective. But I guess right now, based on our stats, um, 15.5 out of uh, 113 legislators already signed up, petitioned, whatever version they, they support. Mm. So it's not really half of the um, half of the old legislators, but it's very good development already. Mm. So I think it's quite positive. However, we're still waiting for more clear um, supports from the uh, higher management team or the administration side, because as we know, um, the Justice Department actually want to push for the uh, same-sex partner only specific law, only for same-sex partner, uh, which we don't like. So we hope that they can withdraw and just support our uh, major equality bill. Oh, it's, okay. So uh, marriage, not just a partnership. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, looking at these three, now let's get into the weeds a little bit. Looking at these three different proposals, is there one that uh, you favor uh, over the others? Is there one that you think is better? Actually, um, Taiwan Tongzi Han Association and other other um, LGBT groups actually discussed with the uh, legislator Yo for quite a while. Mm. That's the background of how her propo- how she proposed this uh, this bill. We want to make sure um, the amendment actually is uh, very it's uh, it's easy to do. So based on our version, we only need to f- uh, amend three three uh, oh sorry five articles. Only mm. five articles. We don't need to to change all the parent uh, all the male female to you know couples. We don't need to do that. We mm. use a very smart way of doing this. We only need to change five uh, articles. Secondly, we also want to make sure the parent-child relationship can be built within this marriage equality bill. Mm. Because we actually it's a very complicated topic, but um, basically we want to make sure uh, the uh, LGBT family can be well taken care of in this bill as well. So from our perspective, yes, we support a legislator use version. This mm. was you may knew, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, the governor of the Judicial Organic and Law Statutes Committee. Okay. She was the person that put forward the DPP proposal. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so the DPP proposal uh, looking good in your perspective. Uh, and, and you kind of just mentioned uh, some of the things that you'd like to see a second ago. But uh, in general, do you think that uh, these, the if, if we're going to talk about the DPP version, uh, does it go far enough or, or, or are there ways that you would like to see it expanded more? Well, I think based on the bill itself, I think um, it's not really very, it's not completed yet. For example, um, uh, we still cannot really take care of the uh, how gay couples have their children. Mm. This one, because it's not still not legal here in Taiwan, not legalized mm-hmm. in Taiwan. So I think... And obviously in Taiwan, there's a lot of constraints on that. Uh, even you need to be married in order to get, <laughs> uh, you know, medical help to have children in Taiwan as well. So, so basically, yes. So basically, um, I think from the bill itself, there's some room to be improved, but we understand we need 
it needs to be done step by step. We cannot. Mm. It's not really possible to change all the related uh, regulations at at once. Um, but still, uh, we also still we still want to see um, more positive um, support from all the uh, all the leadership teams mm. in in Taiwan, not just for DPP but for other parties as well. I actually, I would like to talk a little bit about this distinction between partnership and marriage mm. equality. Yeah. Because right now, Taiwan has neither a partnership law nor gay marriage. Yeah. So uh, the government, apparently, uh, Justice Ministry, they want to go for partnership. And now you have this parliamentary yeah, but initiative. But only for same-sex couple. Yeah. yeah. And, and now this um, parliamentary initiative um, is for marriage equality. Mm. So... Um, I was just looking at the situation in my own home country in Germany, ah. <laughs> and um, we were actually quite early to introduce the same-sex partnership back in yeah. 2001. That yeah. was before yeah. the same-sex marriage yeah. debate really yeah. uh, became so big globally. And by now, it uh, is basically a marriage by all but the words. I mean, it's not called marriage, but mm. um, if you look at adoption rights, at uh, taxation uh, all kinds of um, areas, it's basically 95% the same between the uh, same-sex partnership and the uh, marriage right mm-hmm. now. So would this be a situation that you would say the uh, LGBT community in Taiwan could live with? Or is it really um, so far that you would say, no, We really the only thing we can accept now is just um, marriage, period, just one and the same law applying to everybody? Well, what we want to see... It's a partnership law that can apply to both um, same-sex couple and also heterosexual couples. That's our expectation. We think it's actually quite advanced. You know, people have more choices regarding whether to get into marriage or partnership. But for same-sex couple only partnership regulation, that's clear for us. It's d- discrimination. For me, it will be more like um, a way to, to to avoid, you know, the conflict between the conservative group and also the LGBT group. It's just more like a compromising, but it's not getting anywhere to me. And for us, our our proposal only need to amend five articles mm. within our civil Cold. So it's pretty close. Yeah, um, comparing so, to uh, only you know to get a new a new one a whole new one. We believe our approach actually is more and more and more practical. Mm. Uh, uh, so this is Ting. Just want to uh, jump in a little bit on the um, the the partnership versus marriage issue. I mean that's sort of a big debate that's um, you know been going on in a, uh, for a long time in my home country, well, one of my home countries, the United States, right? And so. Um, specifically in the United States, there's this legacy of um, separate but equal, um, you know, when it was applied to racial issues, right? So, you know, they're saying, well, you know, if you put them in separate categories, um, even if they're exactly the same, you know, is that discrimination? And, you know, what came out of, you know, the American um, experience is that, yes, um, even if, if you call them different things, even if you know, for all intents and purposes they're the same, um, the fact that you're calling them different things makes them different, right? I'm, I'm sort of wondering if that's, uh, some of that has um, been uh, influence, influencing the way that the movement is going on in Taiwan <laughs> as well. Um, and my, I, I guess um, I have another question sort of going back a little bit to the law, um, the the purpose of changing things like father and mother to you know both parents or 
that that's that's a specifically dealing with like parental rights and adoption rights, right? So my, uh, I'm just curious as to how the the current proposal deal was deal with that without having to change um, the sort of just the le- the legal the, the the legislative you know writing issue. Like what how how is that handled? Okay, so so um, for your question regarding how we um, deal with the parental rights, right? Actually, um, we. Our approach is very interesting. We add uh, we wa- we add one article saying that we trying to broaden the definition of uh, of husband and wife. We just I say see. we just say both uh, same sex couple and also his, his heterosexual couples can can use the definition of house and husband and wife. So okay. we use that way. We don't need to change all the terms, you know, husband and wife, female or male, you know, in the civil code. No, we don't need to do that. We just try to broaden the definition of husband and wife. That's our approach. And we also, for the adoption, yes, um, the current, the most practical um, way of uh, forming a same-sex uh, couple uh, or, or LGBT family, of course, is through adoption. If the marriage equality pass, so actually we want we add one clause, uh, very specific, saying that nobody can because of our adoption system is a different. Uh, it's, it's another another procedure that you to go for for a few months. But we add one one article saying that no one can discriminate based on the uh, or make any any decision. You know, discriminatory decision. Because of the um, the sexual orientation, you know everything regarding um, when, when talking when we're discussing the uh, the adoption rights. So there's a clause you'd like to see added. Yeah, yeah, we add that one as well. So basically, we want to make sure um, the same sex couple can still have the uh, the similar adoption rights within the current system. So basically, that's how we deal with these two. So um, yeah, we know that one can be difficult to for the conservative group to. To accept, actually, mm. in our version, we want to make sure these parental rights can also be solved. Because um, actually, on Wednesday, we we brought like fifteen LGBT families to legislative event to discuss with uh to discuss with the legislator regarding the, the difficulty they are faced with right now. So basically, you can see the LGBT families are there in Taiwan already. They just don't have any legal resources or any any rights to to make sure they have the, the, the right um, resources and also have the right parental rights. So um, yes, I think that one we we don't want to compromise this time. Could we talk for a second about the opposition to um, to gay marriage? I mean, is it true that in 2013 the whole initiative died because it was Christian groups who managed to, although they are only a tiny minority, who managed to influence legislators? I think right now the opposition group is uh, basically yes. I believe most of them actually are Christian, the conservative uh, Christian groups. We believe, and as you know, last year they also formed a party, tried to run for the election as well, but just no, no one gave. But they just they just say that they will run it again in year two thousand eighteen um, for the uh, for the uh, city council position. So that's a that's a real constituency that is probably here to stay. Yeah, they want to get into the. You know the, the, the politics 
things right now. They、mm-hmm. know they are kind of they they didn't do they didn't do too much layer,、mm-hmm. so they want to enforce that. So I guess yes, still. But right now, based on our standing, yes, um, the legislators start to get some calls、mm. from from you know from saying that okay, you cannot support this.、Uh, we already see a few calls actually. Again, already. Again, actually, and you know what?、Uh, actually, tomorrow the Taipei City Government is gonna hang the rainbow flag、mm. during the parade. They they got f- more than five hundred calls within one day,、mm. telling them not to do so.、Mm. So basically, you can see they are quite. I think the church group acts so you know. They are so so easily to be to be motivated by layer,、mm. so they can just they don't have the work to do. They just make the call and saying that you cannot do that.、Mm. And actually, at the same time, maybe there's another another、uh, press conference in legislation talking about、uh, whether to those、uh, uh, Christian group are not, should not get into the campus talking about. Anti-LGBT things、mm. in campus, but they are doing that right now. So there is a, another legislator trying to to talk about it, to address that issue right now. But but basically, I have to say,、um, they have, they have quite a lot of resources, as you know. You know, they got lots of donation. You know, they they build very uh, very very expensive churches in Taiwan. So they are quite they are they, so. So my understanding is that okay, there are there are only a few people, maybe five percent of the Taiwan population, but they are so rich,、mm. they are so easy to be motivated.、Mm. So so it's more like their voice is very strong, but in in fact, I think they are just minority as well.、Mm. All right. Uh, all very interesting points on the politics of all this, but、uh, I think we're actually going to have to move beyond the politics of all this、uh, and to a party that is coming to town tomorrow.、Uh, that being the Taiwan LGBT Pride Parade.、Uh, this is actually the 14th year of the parade,、uh, a venerable institution already. Last year, it had 80,000 participants, according to organizers,、uh, making it,、uh, as we've said, one of the largest pr-、uh, pride parades in Asia. Just to give a couple of quick points about、uh, how it's all going to go down tomorrow,、uh, folks are going to meet up at 1:30 p.m. They're setting off from、uh, Ketagalan Boulevard between the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and the Taipei Guest House. The meetup is at 1:30. The actual setting off is at 2:30,、uh, and then it's going to go for several hours. And afterwards, there's going to be、uh, something of a little post-program party going on,、uh, maybe 5 p.m., 6 p.m. From that same place、uh, on Ketagalan Boulevard, so a lot of stuff going on.、Uh, we are lucky to have Simon here to、uh, give us a little bit more of the details. So,、uh, Simon, obviously, this is an event that's been going on for years.、Uh, anything special happening this year that folks can lo-、uh, look forward to?、Um, this year,、um, the LGBT Pride theme、uh, is fun together on the diversity, like you mean it. In in our society.、Um, Uh, people don't do the discrimination now, cause、uh, he, he will say, "Oh, maybe、um, I respect、uh, the homosexual, and I, I have so many gay friends, lesbian friends, and but、uh, let's th-、um, they can still、uh, have the marriage."、Uh, people will say some good words to hide the、uh, discrimination in theirs. Ideology. So it's it's pretty interesting.、Uh, on your website, one of the one of the slogans is、uh, "Honor diversity like you mean it." And、uh, like you were saying there a second ago,、uh, you sometimes get the impression that you know people might say they're very accepting, they、uh, are are not prejudicial at all. But you're saying that that often masks、uh, some real forms of prejudice. Could you tell us a little bit about? 
uh, what forms the, that prejudice is taking. I mean, obviously, we just had a long conversation about marriage equality, but uh, are, are, are there other issues that uh, are, are occurring in Taiwan that uh, concern you? Um, let's um, look at marriage is the hard issue in in our LGBT community, but um, let's just only one of the uh, LGBT issues. We we have more and more and more another like um, education of the LGBT or elder uh, the the elder of the uh, homosexuals life or take caring, yes. And there's so many uh, LGBT issues in in our society. So in Taiwan, LGBT pride, uh, we try to make more and more uh, LGBT issue can be uh, discussed discussion in in our society mm. and more and more pers- um, perspective need need to join join to to the this society and ha- have to um, maybe like um, um, argue argue that or um, say something to know what what is think about this issue mm. and so many people uh, will um, will talk about this gay issue and um, more and more perspective will will show to the society what what we need and what we need to get. Mm. And how do you think that uh, the parade really uh, helps to bring that message to the broader uh, Taiwan society? I mean, uh, is this event really about? Uh, demonstrating to uh, Taiwan how many people are a part of this community, or, or or what are your thoughts on, you know, how what is basically a party, a fun time, uh, can take that kind of message to uh, people in Taiwan? I can also answer that. I think, yeah, um, basically, I think LGBT parade in Taiwan has been quite unique in terms of um, how it perceives itself. We actually, you know, it's a non-profit organization. We take donation from the community, not much from the business side right now. Mm. So it maintains a spirit of the uh, social movement in the parade. So mm. you know, people can dress up, do whatever they want, and even some some companies will have after parties. But normally, for the parade itself, we always have a very very clear topics and also. Um, the issues you want to address. So basically, the the parade itself is still quite um, quite. Um, they, they want to they want to treat it as a social movement, not just a form party. That's mm. basically. But we also try to communicate the message to the public, mm-hmm. for example, through media through mm-hmm. the scene and also all the participants in the parade after mm-hmm. after the, the whole after marching around the Taipei city in the uh, on stage people w- w- normally we will invite uh, people from different uh, parties or from different groups talking about their, the issues they have, they have faced with right now mm-hmm. like the elder group or even the um, physically dis- um, challenged group Mm. LGBT, they will go on stage discuss their issues they are faced with right now. Mm. It's a it's a it's an opportunity to educate our community as well to see the issues that you don't you don't encounter too much in daily life. Mm. So still, it's a more like a social movement. I just want to add if there's anybody listening to this now and maybe has not um, seen this parade before feels somehow sympathetic towards the goals of the movement and still thinking about whether to go out or not. I would just say go there tomorrow really yeah. it's one of the highlights of the year it's such a 
great event. No one cares if you're gay or if you're straight. Just go there and just march along. It's um, it's such a nice, relaxed atmosphere. And you walk all through Taipei City in the middle of the roads, which is an experience you normally don't have. Mm. And I think I've been uh, joining the parade every year since I've come to Taiwan. And it's just something I really look forward to every year. And I think anybody who is somehow intrigued by this now should just go out there and, and join the march. Yes, actually, we have... Uh Normally, we will have. It's it's not for just for LGBT people. Mm. Everyone can walk there, especially mm. for those who only see LGBT newspaper. Mm. You know, in a TV show, you can just go there and just try to talk to some of the LGBT people. Know their life, then you will know what the issues we are faced with right now. Mm. All right, so uh, all that and more to look forward to tomorrow, uh, kicking off in the early afternoon, early-ish afternoon. Uh, Simon and Wayne, we have one more story that uh, we're going to be doing today. Uh, this one, a little bit less serious. We always like to end our show uh, on, I guess we could even call it a dumb story. So could you stick around with us to uh, discuss this story as well? Sure. All right, uh, Gavin, what do we have today? We have a story about names here. We have the Ministry of Ministry of the Interior this week did a survey on people's names in Taiwan. Mm. Now, while some of it was a bit silly, and I'll get there in a minute, we'll start with the main one. Now, the Minister of the Interior found that there was 32 people in Taiwan with the name of Tsai Ing-wen. 32? 32 oh. people called Tsai Ing-wen. Tong, there you go. Tong Ming, Tong Xing. Now... Exactly were, the same characters? Or yes, the same exactly the same characters. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Mm. There was 259 people... Named after Vice President with the same name, rather not named after, but with the same name as Vice President Chen Jianren. Mm-hmm. There was 50 people with the same name as the Premier, Lin Chuan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, the former President, Mr. Ma ying mm. They only found one Ma ying Wow. Only one. In addition go, to huh? the other Ma ying There you go. Only one. Only one. Oh, only one. Only one total. Only one. Now, they also did a survey about the... The most popular, the most widely used surnames in Taiwan at the moment. <laughs> okay. Now we can predict these, can't we? We have Chen. Okay, no we surprise. Have Lin. No surprise. We have Huang. Mm-hmm. We have Zhang. Mm-hmm. We have Li. We have Wang. We have Wu. We have Liu. We have Tsai. And we have Yang. Okay. Mm-hmm. Awesome. They're the most Sounds familiar. But yeah. there's a problem with the Liu's. Because apparently they found the Leos are in older people. Mm-hmm. So they're concerned that the Leo family name could die out because it's more older people have the Leo family name than younger people. So does that mean if you're called Leo, you're less likely to procreate? I don't know. This is just, <laughs> That's that, what it has that, meant, that apparently. In the wow. Ministry of the Interior, I don't know that. it just says that the Leos are a more older name. It's an older person's name. Mm. Now... So give a Leo a hug today. If you meet a Leo, give him a hug. Yeah. Part of an endangered species. Marry one and have babies. (laughs) That too. (laughs) That too. Now, in the more stupid note of this, they found one person in Taiwan only had one character. Mm. Their name was just one name. One character. Kind of like Cher. Kind of like being called Bob. Mm. Or Madonna. this, This is Wong. That's not the person's name, but they found one person with one character. They didn't say what it was. They can't say... They didn't say what it was. How did he manage to get into the, into the household registration? Yeah. That's, they're just one person. They don't say. They just say one person has one character on their identity card. You can change your name, remember. Aboriginal names. 
doesn't say they, that's they, what it says here. They can't they can't release the name. It's well, it's not secret. But but the longest name they found was fifteen characters long. Fifteen characters. Fifteen characters. And I'm going to hand this over to you because you are going to read it because I'll crucify it if I read it in Chinese. All right. This is Wayne reading to us the longest name in Taiwan. Huang. Hong. Huang Hongcheng, Taiwan, Tong I remember actually he ran for the uh, election campaign last year. Oh, no kidding. Yes, would I you, remember. Would you, like, would you like this name? Actually, it's a very interesting name. Not a bad being a, uh, you know, president, you know, being like world famous. Mm-hmm. That's the meaning of his name. Yeah, the world famous God of Wealth super president. Yeah. Basically, yeah. Yeah. People, people know what kind of a guy you are. All right, it's not bad to walk around with that kind of reputation. Uh, 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 Simon, if if you had to have one of those names that we were talking about there, if you had to be a Tsang Wen or a Mang Zhou or a Chen Jian Ren, oh, is this too dangerous of a question? I guess I can't ask. Uh, too, way too dangerous of a question. All right. Well, you're lucky, though, because your name wasn't one of the common ones. Dai wasn't one of the most common ones, was I guess it? not. No, 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 no. no, no. no. Yeah, I guess not. It's not common. Okay, so that's something to be proud of. So you're, you're special. A special guy. Mm, there yeah. you go. <laughs> <laughs> Nods in approval. I mean, when I picked my Chinese last name, Bai, mm-hmm. one of the reasons was that it's um, pretty easy to write. It doesn't oh, yeah. have so many strokes. Mm-hmm. So uh, what about you guys? Did that play any part in your decisions? My teacher chose my name for me, Meng. She just thought it sounded kind of like Menconi, I guess. Meng Zilla Meng. Meng like the dream? Oh, no, no, no. Like Meng Zilla. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, Ting, I don't think that your last name came up on that list either. No, it did not. But I, I don't think my last name is... I think it's somewhere in the middle. It's not too rare, but it's not, it's not too... Um, you know, it's not too common either. Mm. I haven't like it, so... You're obviously just Mr. Boring then, aren't you? <laughs> just there in the middle. Wishy-washy. Yeah, it's, not even, it's not even interesting. It's not even so boring that it's interesting. <laughs> it's actually quite easy to read, to, to write, right? Mm. Only two strokes. I don't uh, know. No, it's, it's a Su Ye the Ye. Oh, <laughs> I see. I saw it's a ding, so sorry. My bad. <laughs> ding. Yeah, let, me, let me just add, you know, once the... Once the same-sex marriage, the marriage equality law passes, and the you know all the same-sex Leo couples can adopt children, right? You know, hopefully that'll see a, uh, a know, bonanza of Leos. The, the Leo population go up. <laughs> okay, we can save that endangered species, the 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 wild Leo. Gavin, what's your Chinese name? I've never heard it. It's Gavin Phipps. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's uh, and so it shall be for the ages. Uh, fair enough. All right, well, we are going to have to round out the show right there. Uh, that is it for Taiwan this week, for this week. Uh, before we get to, you know, the whole outro and everything, we're going to say goodbye to our two guests, Wayne Lin and Simon Dai. Very happy to have both of you on. Thank you. Thank you. All right, well, uh, we are going to have to round it out there. Taiwan This Week broadcasts every Friday evening at 8.15 p.m. on ICRT-FM 100. You can also find it online at the ICRT website, on iTunes, and wherever fine podcasts are purveyed. Signing off from the ICRT studio, I am Keith Menconi, joined as always by Gavin Phipps. Hey, good night. And also uh, happy to have, once again, Klaus Bardenhagen. Thank you. And by phone, Che Ting Ye. Ting, thank you. Uh, thank you, and go to the parade tomorrow. Absolutely. And thank you all for listening. See you again next time on Taiwan This Week. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8.30 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.